0: Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. I'm your host, Joe Schunkweiler, a physician and former health tech executive now supporting startups and investors at Amazon Web Services. Today, I'm joined by two guests, Adam Tebbe, Vice President of Computational Data Science and Technology at Goldfinch Bio, a precision medicine company targeting kidney disease, and Bobby Mukherjee, CEO and founder of LOCA, a Silicon Valley-based software consultancy working to move projects to market as fast as possible. Goldfinch and LOCA have been collaborating on an initiative to tackle structural variant analysis, looking at large genomic variations that could have major implications for Goldfinch's mission of delivering disease-modifying precision medicines for patients suffering with kidney disease. Adam and Bobby share their thoughts on when it makes sense to use and develop open source tools, what the impact of cutting edge data analysis is on developing new treatments, and how working with a partner can accelerate a project. Enjoy. Adam Tebby, Vice President of Computational Data Science and Technology at Goldfinch Bio, and Bobby Mukherjee, CEO of LOCA. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to be
1: here. Thanks, John. Appreciate being here. I'd love to love to start
0: with Adam. Can you, can you tell us a bit about Goldfinch? And, and I'd also love to hear about you know, what you're in particular working on and, and how you got there.
2: Yeah, happy to. So Goldfinch Bio is a, we're a biotechnology company launched by Third Rock Ventures in 2016. And our focus is to pioneer precision-based medicines to revolutionize the treatment of kidney disease. So if you don't know, chronic kidney disease affects about 780 million people globally. That's one in every 10 people in the world. Progression to end-stage kidney disease is common and severely impacts the quality of life. And despite this, fewer than 1% of all research programs across the industry are focused on reducing the burden of CKD. So here at Goldfinch, we're applying precision medicine to discover, develop, and commercialize disease-modifying kidney disease treatments. We really believe that our approach enables us to uncover subsets of patients based on genetic environmental factors within heterogeneous kidney diseases and associated biological targets for therapeutic intervention. So one way that we do this is uh, through, through one of the cornerstones of our precision medicine product engine, we call our Kidney Genome Atlas or KGA for short. So our KGA houses genomic, transcriptomic clinical data from tens of thousands of people living with kidney disease these data are in mind using a variety of algorithms and methods to identify molecular and environmental causes of disease. And so I've been here at Goldfinch for four and a half years now, and a lot of my time has been spent building this genomic resource and helping to identify new drug targets, stratify patients um, and disease, and help, help move our programs forwards to one day hopefully fill this incredible medical need. So my role broadly encompasses data science and technology. Myself and team we're, were tasked with responsibly managing the company's data, building scalable compute environments, tools, pipelines, analyzing data, and ultimately generating insights that move our programs forward.
0: And uh, thanks, Adam. Bobby, I'd love to love to learn about Loca and, and what you're working on.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. Um... You know, at Loca, we're, we're a software consulting company based in Silicon Valley, and kind of our mission really is to help the most ambitious startups uh, bring their innovations to market faster. Um, so, uh, you know, my background before that, um, I've been um, uh, lucky enough to start and successfully sell uh, my own startup, uh, which has given me you know some great lessons. And then I've also been lucky enough to, to fail with, uh, with the startup I started, which gave me even more powerful lessons, I right. would say. And I would say the combination of those experiences is what I've sewed into the fabric that is LOCA and probably why I'm incredibly respectful and empathetic of uh, you know, entrepreneurs like Adam because I've sort of been in their shoes and understand the trials and tribulations and the highs and the lows. So our entire company is sort of finely tuned towards helping these ambitious startups that are doing truly meaningful work um, get their innovations uh, to market faster.
0: Clearly, this is a, a marriage of two important areas. Excited to have you both here, Adam. Could you could you start? It? We wanted to discuss something called the Structural Variant Project, um, which is near and dear to your heart, I know. So, I'd love to. Can you tell us a bit about that project and you know what it entails?
2: Sure. So I think this is a really cool project we've been working on for a little while. Uh, so for background on what structural variants are, so uh, first of all, there's a bunch of different forms of structural variation in the human genome. So this includes regions of DNA that are inserted or deleted or inverted, translocated, duplicated, repeated, all kinds of options, uh, you know, in different copy numbers. And so they can occur in regions of the DNA genome that code for proteins or non-coding regions or intergenic regions of the genome and they're kind of best known I I think as the form of DNA that's analyzed in forensic DNA profiling but uh, interestingly kind of with the the advent of next generation sequencing and these large population-based GWAS studies that are being done now we're learning about kind of different kinds of variation across different populations and understanding how structural variants can predispose you to many different types of disease through a variety Mm -hmm. of mechanisms and so we, we think that they're equally important as single nucleotide polymorphisms and, and commonly associated in genetic, that are commonly um, kind of used in genetic studies. And so our KGA, we, you know, we have more than 30,000 whole genome sequences. And this, this project was really conceived of as a way to enable us to, you know, accurately really look at those different classes of structural variants in our data and look for associations with kidney disease that would help us develop new medicines for patients. And so I think historically, the community has really put a lot of um, focus on calling SNPs. There's been a much less focus on structural variants just due to the complexity of the types of rearrangements and also mm-hmm. the fact that some of them are so big that they're, they're bigger than the, the standard read size of a lot of sequencing methods. And so... Um, you know, you can overcome this now with newer, newer tools, newer technologies like long-read sequencing, but you'd have to resequence all of your samples, which for us would just be totally cost prohibitive. And so the advantage of this pipeline that we're talking about is that it enables us to, to use standard short-read data, such as what we have, and, you know, still uh, be able to call structural variants and look at those within our data set. And so most of the approaches that look at structural variants right now are what are called ensemble methods. And so that means that instead of using one variant caller, they're using a bunch of them that do different things well and then put, them, put the data all together. And so our collaboration with Bobby's team at LOCA is, is to port one of these ensemble methods that was developed at the Broad Institute over to run on AWS's platform. And that's important to us because that's where all of our data lives. And so we wanna be able to run to analyze that data where it is and not have to move it out somewhere else. And I think the real benefit of this is you don't have to go resequence your data. You can use, you know, Goldfinch or someone else interested in this can use their existing data on AWS's platform and then run it run it through this pipeline to identify potentially new, new signals in the data. Got it. And it sounds like this is
0: totally in keeping with the uh, precision approach that you outlined earlier, that Goldfinch is... Is central to Goldfinch's mission. So you're really trying to find that uh, precision approach to to treatments for kidney disease. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of timing, why why tackle the structural variant aspect now um, versus is is it a technological advancement? Is it a data advancement? Like what is what what makes now the right time uh, to tackle this project?
2: Yeah, I think there's a, a few things to think about. I mean, we, like I said, we really believe that understanding structural variation in our patient population will really help us provide further insight into partner kidney disease and help us identify new, new targets that lead to new medicines. And so, you know, we're committed to this idea. We've wanted to do this for a couple of years, but the question of why now instead of two years ago, mm-hmm. I, I think at this point we've completed all of our GWAS analysis. We've looked at common and rare SNPs, um, but we haven't touched structural variance. And so, you know, one of the real limiting factors was we knew that to do this project, we needed a partner. Uh, We knew we just, you know, we're a small company, you know, we have a really limited kind of technical team limited in terms of number of people. Uh, And so, you know, we knew that we needed to find somebody who could really help us get this project going. And so you know i think that was an first and foremost in our mind and then another important consideration was just the maturity of the the pipeline you know this this has been under development for a couple of years by the broad um and as with any kind of software project you know it's not done it's still being still being worked on it's still maturing but we we felt like it got to a point of maturity where it was worth us kind of taking a shot at trying to use it and I, I think one of the drawbacks is that it was was built and tested on a different cloud provider's platform, and so we couldn't just use it out of the box. We knew that we had to do some work to kind of port it over, get it working on, um, you know, an AWS-backed infrastructure. And being such a small t- team, you know, we had to align internal resources. We had to make sure we had some ability to, to be the, the customer of a partner and, and work closely with them to define the requirements and do the testing. And... I think so it took us a while to kind of put all of that together, to find a partner, to get the resources lined up, make sure the pipeline was there. And we, we feel like kind of this is the right time for us to move forward with it.
0: So it sounds like bringing a partner in was first and foremost, as you wanted to tackle this challenging you know, project. What about the other side of that? Were there reservations about bringing anyone else into the, into the project, given that you, know, you have a, as you said, a small but high performing team on your, on your side?
2: Yeah, I think it's a great question, you know, with us actually we had prior experience working in this type of engagement where we worked on developing a solution to run hail on elastic MapReduce, which is available as a quick start on AWS so. We were fortunate in that aspect where this isn't the first engagement like this that that we've done so I think for us it wasn't so much a concern of whether this is you know how will we work with a partner. um, is it, you know, should we bring in a partner should we try to staff up internally I mean I think because we've had that prior experience this was a pretty easy decision for us to make. But I think the really important thing with a project like this in particular is thinking about who, who is the right partner right I mean you can pick uh, almost anyone off of uh, uh, you know AWS's um referral site basically to, to pick up. A partner to work on a fee-for-service engagement but it for us it was really critical to identify a partner that saw this project as really being a strategic opportunity for their business and something that they would commit to helping not only build but helping to kind of maintain over time they, they saw this as an important component of what they could do as a business moving forward and not just an you know an arrangement where they get paid for their work and they move on to something else and so Uh, You know, I've just seen too many examples where a workflow or a a piece of scientific software gets released and then it just goes stagnant. It doesn't get maintained and, you know, it's obsolete almost as quickly as it gets released. And so I think in this particular case, really the, because the upstream pipeline is still under development, it's still changing, you know, there needs to be diligent testing. There needs to be some level of care and, and maintenance that gets provided or else it becomes obsolete. And so Finding a partner that understands that understands kind of the landscape of scientific software and is willing to um, work in that environment, I think, was just really important for us. Bobby, I'd love to to bring you into this because
0: you've you know you do these kind of engagements or or you know similar engagements um, frequently at, at at LOCA. What are some of the value proposition that you, that you bring in um, as a partner?
1: The, the way I see it is that. You know, at Loca, we're very lucky because as a as a consulting company, we have a very diverse portfolio of experiences that we get through the work that we do for our for our clients. And um, obviously, we have a a thriving healthcare and life sciences practice, but we also have uh, a practice around fintech, and then you know, machine learning core uh, across a bunch of different verticals. Um, And I think that. The way I've always thought about it is this, which is that when you are a product company, a venture-funded product company, you have like this singular obsession about a particular problem that you're trying to solve and bring to market for for customers, and you, you know, you you have uh, very talented folks just going uh, full tilt at a particular problem for years. Whereas at Loca, you're basically you have a Portfolio of those types of teams, and so you you know in 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 that same two or three year period, you're living you know many many lives, which creates this bank of experiences that allow you to essentially do what I think most startups want, which is accelerate things. Mm. Uh, I've I've never met a startup CEO that came to me and said, "Hey, Bobby, can you please find us a way to slow down our product development? It's (laughs) it's just too fast. You know, Uh, we we need to take a breath. It's never fast enough." People should have started last week. That's typically going to be the case 10 years ago. It's going to, it, it'll be the case 10 years from now. So acceleration is everything. And I think our, our portfolio of experiences allow us to you know, deliver that acceleration and, and you know, partner with a company like Goldfinch and Adam and his, and his very, very talented team who we, we work with very, very closely uh, and just get to the finish line a little bit faster.
0: Given that you bring that experience in across sectors and across engagements, um, but for a very, um, with each bespoke um, engagement that you have, mm-hmm. what kind of tools are you pulling in? Are there open source tools? Like what's the, like w- as much as you can share, like what's in the toolbox for, for Loco when they come into something like this?
1: Yeah, sure. A number of things. I mean, I would say, uh, <clears throat> firstly, I, I've been uh, a huge beneficiary of open source in particular. So I, I continue to be a fan of that art form. Um, and I think it's worth talking about why. So, uh, you know, I think the, the positive aspirational destination of an open source project is a situation where you have a, a number, you know, the number of developers that are working on that open source project will dwarf, you know, any developer hours mm-hmm. that even an established you know, uh, unicorn publicly traded uh, tech company could contribute to a project. It's it's just mind blowing the, the the level of effort and help you can get. And so we try wherever possible uh, to use uh, to use those uh, to use those tools. Um, and you know, I would say, uh, you know, to pick a few, you know, sort of on the on the cloud side. You have kind of the, the golden oldies like uh, Terraform that allow you to you know, basically um, accelerate using you know, uh, infrastructure as code and deploying it across cloud environments. It's, it's widely used, super helpful, and something we use quite a bit. Um, you know, at a slightly different level, uh, you know, the AWS Biotech Blueprints have been a great help. Um, you have to remember the world before those, which is that you would be a startup. You would be trying to do some very basic things in database or analytics uh, infrastructure stand up. And you've either had to have uh, off the bat that expert in-house, or you would spend days trying to
2: mm.
1: you know, read documentation to get that up. Now with the biotech blueprints, you literally can do these things, and I'm not exaggerating, in minutes, um, which I think is very powerful. And, and we've, uh, we, we try to use these whenever possible. So I think those would be uh, a couple of examples. Adam, I'd love
0: to hear your thoughts on on why build an open source resource to begin with. You know, we heard about some of the, you know, how how Bobby and his team and your team are utilizing some of those tools, but sort of at the foundational level uh, or, or philosophically or however you want to frame it, like what, what makes open source um, a, a, an attractive pathway here?
2: I think uh you know from my perspective it wasn't really even a consideration i mean the pipeline that we're working on is open source code and so our intention was really to just commit changes back to that project we didn't want to fork it into some proprietary version of that you know that we try to release and and share you know it it works the best if we just leverage what the community is already doing and we just add our piece onto it right and so that's what we're trying to do here where we're committing code back to repositories owned by other organizations. We don't have our own code repository for this project at all. And I think the other important consideration was thinking about, because this is a workflow, um, you know, what is that orchestration engine that's kind of executing that workflow? So this, this specific project we're talking about was written in, in what's called workflow description language, or Whittle. And so that Is executed through the Cromwell engine. And so we were deciding, you know, do we try to get Cromwell working better on AWS or do we just port it to something else that we maybe know a little bit better? And you know, ultimately we decided as a team, let's stick with Cromwell. The the workflow is written in Cromwell. We didn't write the workflow. We're not maintaining the workflow. We're just trying to make Cromwell work better on AWS. And so that was really the approach that we took of. Committing to both the workflow as an open source project and Cromwell as an open source project and just making small changes to both um, to, to essentially get them working on AWS's backbone without kind of rewriting any of those things or doing anything really proprietary. Yeah.
0: Bobby, do any anything to add to that?
1: Yeah. So um uh, you know, as Adam said, it 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 made perfect sense because we already had this momentum with the open source project in in uh, in flight. The other thing I would say is that uh, open source success really depends on the passion and contributions of a, of a wide set of developers. And I really felt, uh, and our developers internally feel that this lent itself to that passion very well because. You know, you're 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 asking for um, obviously it's our job, but you're asking for the larger audience to contribute nights and weekends to to make this thing better. Mm. And to do that, you have to really ask the question: Well, why? Uh, why would they do that? And I think it goes back to um, solving meaningful problems. And, and I think Adam articulated it very well in the early part of the podcast when he was talking about Goldfinch. But just just to refresh audiences, because I'm not sure how many people really understand this, but just for what we're trying to do with Goldfinch, you know, one in 10 people around the globe struggle with chronic kidney disease. And so on working on the structural variant open source initiative that we're doing with, with, with Goldfinch, um, we have a very clear line of sight to uh, helping put a dent in that problem and, and helping some of these patients that are struggling with kidney disease. That's just one ailment out of the thousands of ailments that are out there on planet Earth, where the same precision medicine techniques using the power of genomics could make a real difference. And to all of us on the LOCA team working on this, it felt like that had legs, that Mm -hmm. we could get other developers excited and passionate about that to move the ball forward. And I think that's critical in an open source project. If you look at the graveyard of open source projects, they're filled with initiatives where you just didn't have a great answer to that why but this one does.
0: Yeah, no, that it, there's a, a community aspect to it, um, or, you know, decentralized aspect to it, which now is um, very much in vogue, but um, is, is a very real thing, you know, and, and, and going out another layer, as you said, to the, the clinical um, angle here, uh, you know, in my previous life, I, I spent a lot of time with patients with end-stage renal disease, and the the um, burden of that disease is so significant, and the outcomes um, from transplant are very good, and um, dialysis are you know getting better. Um, but it's there's a lot of patient suffering that goes into end stage renal disease and chronic kidney disease. So um, it's definitely one of those things that you don't have to wonder what the impact of what you're working on is, um, and that must be must be quite fulfilling. Um, I have a philosophical question, Adam. Like, do you have any, you know, do you have any advice for other folks in the data science world about when they tackle these kind of projects um, at big companies, small companies? Like, what's your, like, what's the best way to to frame that for folks?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I I think one point obviously is you have to get the business behind it. I mean, you're taking time resources away from other things we could be doing. To try to move our programs along so why is this specific project important to us how is it going to help move the business forward so framing obviously framing out the business case is really important i think the other thing that we like i said we we realized early on we just you know we weren't going to be able to tackle this this thing by ourselves and so um i think another thing to think about especially if you're a small company is you know having a good relationship with your account team uh, can be really beneficial as well where they're aligned behind your vision of what you need to do as a business. And, you know, especially as a technology team within that business. And so we, you know, at Goldfinch, we approached our account team and we said, you know, can you help us with this? Can you, is there anyone you think you could, you know, partner us up with that would be interested, which was how we got the introdu- introduction to Bobby and the team at LOCA. Um, but I think it, I, I wouldn't understate that. I mean, I think that we've, we've been very fortunate in the relationships that we've built where we now have the opportunity to kind of learn a little bit about um, project roadmaps on different services and different kind of service offerings that AWS is considering and some voice of the customer type activities. And so, uh, you know, I think building that relationship with your account team is really important. And I think it can really help with a project like this uh, where, you know, you need some help. You need somebody to to provide input or resources. And, and you know, I think we've been fortunate in that respect
0: Bobby, any other any best practices that you've seen from your you know experience in the space that, that that you'd like to share as well?
1: Yeah, so I would say when it when it comes to um, health tech or life sciences startups, um, the the thing that I really try to advise is to focus very much is is to focus the resources of that startup very much on the problems that only. The, po- the people underneath their roof are uniquely suited to solve where they are domain experts and it's a very, very specialized knowledge set that only they can really handle. But wherever possible, you know keep your eye on the acceleration prize of time to market, getting to market quickly to, to get feedback and, and go through the trials. And for a lot of technology, data inter- you know data engineering, cloud infrastructure problems the problems have been solved before many many times over across a bunch of different industries so you know best to bring in someone that has done it a million times and so that you to free you up to focus on the problems that you cannot bring in as uh, someone else to solve because you know uh, whether it's dealing with moving a large data set very very quickly or dealing with fast response times for some insane number of concurrent users I assure you, it's been done before, and there are best practices to do them. Um, but for things uh, that are truly unique to what you're doing, st- stick with those so that you can just focus and, and get to the outcomes faster. And and Adam, any unforeseen challenges?
0: You know, it's not always smooth sailing when you do this stuff. But is was there anything that 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 cropped up with this or other or, or tackling these other kind of projects that that are, that are relevant to this?
2: Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So I think, um, you know, safe to say we underestimated how much work would be involved in getting this thing over the finish line. Uh, You know, in our, in our mind, it was, you know, we'd have to make a few small tweaks here and there and just do a bunch of testing and we're good to go. But, you know, after working on this for a while, I think it's, you know, the reality is that there was a considerable amount of work, um, not just to get the pipeline running, but really optimized for Um, you know, optimal execution on the cloud, really trying to bring the compute time, the cost down, um, building that kind of benchmark test set of of data as we're iterating on things, um, looking at how we can do a better job kind of caching the reference data, keeping the reference data public on AWS, but up to date along with all the the Docker images as well. So there was a lot of details, I think, that maybe glossed over in the beginning and thought, oh, this just won't be a big deal until we dug into it and really realized, you know what, there's a lot to do here. Um, I think another point was, you know, as I mentioned, this workflow is constantly under development, it's under change, um, and continues to improve, and I think, you know, one of the drawbacks is that sometimes those changes can kind of break things, or, you know, they can affect the outcome, and um, because we're iterating on this workflow execution, the team at the Broad is iterating on building the workflow, Um, you know, we're doing that in parallel without necessarily great coordination, and so, um, you know, I think we've had a few challenges there. We, we do have a good dialogue with the team. I think that, you know, they've been really supportive of what we're trying to do on this project. And so, you know, I think those are fixable, um, but it's just that, you know, we have to keep in mind that when you have multiple groups working in, in parallel, but not necessarily together, um, you know, some of these complications can come up and I think one other issue that we ran into, I just wanted to point out is that, you know, not all the software used in the workflow is open source. Um, coming back to your previous point of why do open source? And so, you know, with the help of the Broad, we did some analysis to kind of quantify the impact that that one of those aligners that's not open source had on kind of the overall call set that was produced. And, you know, at Goldfinch, we ultimately decided to to buy a license for it, that it was worth doing, but not to say that every organization would make that same change. So, you know, we've had to take, considerations like that into account. It definitely delayed the project because we needed to get through the license agreement and and you know deal with all the legal implications of that. So, um, you know, these are things that at the outset of the project I wouldn't have anticipated. But you know, you just have to deal with as they come and just kind of roll with the punches.
0: Well, Adam Tebby, vice president at Goldfinch Bio, and Bobby Mukherjee, CEO of loca Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to
1: aws.amazon.com startups.